Listener Production. Hello, my name is Maddie J, and welcome to episode six. Now, if you're standing, sit down for this because this is some devastating news. This is the very last episode of the Penny Drops. Yep, I know, I know, it's sad, but hey, it's been fun. And I'm sure by now you probably know the spiel, but I'll say it anyway. Maybe you're saving to buy a house. Maybe you're interested in budgeting. Or maybe you just want to go on a European holiday, but you only have $28 in your account. Whatever the reason, say it with me. We're all in this together. So get ready for the penny to drop. Oh, and just one more thing before we get started with the app. I am just an ex-reality TV star and not a finance expert. The information in this podcast is not to be used as advice for your own personal situation and needs. I strongly recommend meeting with the professionals to get something personally tailored just like I did. Well, what a journey it's been so far. I don't know if I'm looking any smarter, but I definitely feel smarter. And I'm pretty sure that in life, that's the most important thing. But there is no way we can finish this finance journey together and not talk about superannuation. If you're like me, sorting your super out is one of those things that just sits at the bottom of life's to-do list, slowly haunting every moment of peace that I get, Each time I give myself a high five for doing something mature, like renewing the rego or getting my tax done, I get that moment of dread knowing that my super account is just sitting there, fully aware that I'm ignoring it because, well, I don't really know how it works, which like I know is a really bad attitude to have and I do feel kind of guilty and I just want to feel a little less alone. Later on, I'm going to be chatting with Effie Zahos. She is back to walk us through exactly how to get our super accounts in order. But before we do that, I wanted to let you in on a little secret I just learned. Life doesn't stop in your 60s. Now, the last thing I want to do when I get to retirement is end up as someone that spends all day playing bingo and watching Bold and the Beautiful. Not that there's anything wrong with staring into Ridge's dreamy eyes all day long. I guess I just don't like the thought of getting to that age and not doing anything fun with my life. So today I'm going to introduce to you two absolute legends who haven't stopped just because they're at retirement age. They're also a pretty good case for why we should be considering super now so that we can push the boundaries and do all the things we love when we're older. Every weekend, you'll find 64-year-old Sue behind the decks DJing a gig where she packs the floor and keeps everyone partying all night. In fact, Sue's been doing this for quite some time. Well, I started when I was 53 and I've been DJing now 11 years. It's the longest job I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what did you do for work before you became a DJ? Um, I was a bookkeeper and I worked for a restaurant in a local shopping centre. I'm doing the books for them. I work with a lot of young people. And then I went to a wedding. The manager had a wedding in Mossvale. And I went to the wedding and the DJ there, she was a lady in about her 40s. And she looked really serious all night. We were having lots of fun. And then we were requesting songs and she didn't play them. And that's sort of where it started, where I thought, well, I reckon I could do that job. But I see DJing is quite hard. It's uh, even, even I've had that thought as well, where I've seen someone standing there behind the decks and I thought to myself, how hard could it be? 
but technically I wouldn't be very good. Like I, I, uh, I can barely turn my laptop on. Who taught you how to DJ? Well, my son, um, when I decided that that's what I thought I might do, my son, um, he was 14 at the time. And so him and I, we went and did a half-day DJ course in Sydney on turntables. And I hadn't even used a Mac computer. I didn't <laughs> even know how to slide the songs. You know how you've got It's a bit different to um, Windows. And anyway, we did that. And then we were busting to get some equipment when we came back to Canberra. And we just went to JB Hi-Fi and bought some decks and a mixer and some speakers. And I just thought, I'll start up my own business because that would be better and I'd probably make more money that way. So Ryan was with me, like he had all the knowledge. I couldn't have done it on my own. <laughs> so wait, when, when you then did your course, yep. what was your very first gig? I arranged like a launch party. I called it a launch party for all my friends at the restaurant that I did the bookkeeping for. And so that was my very first night. And, you know, we would have had about maybe 80 people there. They came and had dinner. And then I started up the music. But the worst thing was I bought an a Apple MacBook Pro and it was like, um, you know, demonstrator model. And I didn't realize that. And halfway through the night, I had it sitting on the desk and it overheated just when everybody <laughs> started dancing. And I couldn't start it up again. So I really learned everything the hard way as we've gone along. But it didn't matter. Everyone had had a good time by that stage. Hey, the best way to learn is by making mistakes, Sue. Yeah, I think it's the only way you learn, Maddie, in life. You know, everything, every time I make a mistake, you know, I learn something new. And my son's really good, even though he got embarrassed going out with me after a while. So um, I thought, like, I can do it on my own because it brings me so much fun going out. And... um and But if something goes wrong, like sometimes the turntable, the music will go backwards and I suddenly realise it's not going to go the right way. I ring Ryan and he'll tell me what to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm pretty lucky there. How do people normally react when they see you standing there behind the decks? Well, to be honest with you, um, you know, they, they look at me weird when they, especially with a wedding, they'll walk into the room and look at me and then they'll um, say to the person next to them, I see them sort of um, whispering, probably something like, you know, is that the DJ? And then I know what they're thinking because I'd probably think the same thing if I was going to a wedding and there was a DJ like me. And they probably think it's going to be crap because it's just going to be old music. But like I play everything and um, and I have the meeting out of my hands halfway through the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, let, let's say if the dance floor is struggling a little bit, do you have a go-to track that's an absolute banger? Oh, well, it depends on the age group, really, you know. So, yeah, by Usher. Love you know, it. That, that's a good one. But if it's somebody like me and they're in their, in their 50s or 60s, I'll pick something like um, What is Love or ah, um, Sue, now Sing Hallelujah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a lot of good tracks, Maddie. <laughs> I love it so much. It's got to be tough though, right, Sue? You know, all this newfound fame. How are you managing? Is it stressful? Honestly, Maddie, some nights I can't sleep. You know, my <laughs> head's going crazy. But I love it. You know, like I said, it's the right time in my life for things like this to happen. And I um, I would have been worried that my children, my daughter's 37 and she's just had her first child. And I thought, you know, it might be a bit embarrassing for my kids. But they, they're so supportive and their friends are supportive. And my son, I said to him the other night, are you embarrassed about, you know, all this media? He goes, oh, mum. 
One of my mates sent me the picture of you at the cricket the other night. (laughs) I think they're quite proud, really. I I bet so. And (laughs) did you ever, let's say in your 30s and 40s, did you ever envision that the life you have right now was a life you were going to live? Never, ever, ever would I have imagined that. You know, I've always done office work. I've done a lot of bookkeeping work. And I don't enjoy that. I don't enjoy just sitting at a desk. But I could never have imagined in my life that I would have been a DJ at 53 and still be doing it at 64. So you never know what's going to come into your life. What's your reaction to people who think that when it comes to retirement, that's a time in your life to really slow things down and not take on any new activities? If I had to give up and retire now, my life would be pretty boring, I would say. I wouldn't know what to do with myself. (laughs) So I think if you have a passion for something, and as you get older, you know, like it's never too old to start something new. And these days, because you can look everything up on Google, you can learn something at the drop of a hat, you know, just start looking into what you got. And I feel that if you have a passion or you have something come into your mind and then you just go with it, things sort of fall into place. Do you ever thought as to when will be your your second retirement? Oh, I have no idea. Look, honestly, at the moment, I'm just having a ball. I have a good time. I'm living the life, really. You know, I've got I've got groupies here in Canberra. I've got a group of friends <laughs> that come out. And wherever I'm playing music, they come along. There might be 30 or 40 of them. They have dinner at the club and then they dance. And then if I'm not doing a gig on a Saturday night, I just go out with them and party with them. So... My life's never been better. This is amazing. <laughs> it's brilliant. Honestly, so it's, it's, I think it's because uh, for, for younger people like myself, whenever I think of older age, you know, I, I envision that it would be a life of, you know, playing lawn bowls, my feet up, <laughs> watching TV. And it's nice to meet, meet someone who completely throws that perception on its head. I do, Maddie, and some nights I won't get home till about two o'clock in the morning, you know, and it kills me, but I love it. Like, you know, it's just the fun of what I'm doing. Sue, I I can imagine that you're on social media right now, aren't you? Yes, I am, yeah. And if anyone listening wanted to have a look at your Instagram account, what's your handle? It's at runaroundDJSue, all one word. And also on Facebook, runaroundDJs. I'm also on TikTok, but I don't put much, I don't know much about TikTok. And I've got Twitter and um, LinkedIn. You, That's all my social media. You're covering all bases. <laughs> I am, yeah. I'm getting out there, Maddie. No, no Snapchat, though. Oh, I don't know much about Snapchat. Well, normally it's for other things, but yeah, I, I think you've got all bases covered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I really appreciate you um, wanting to interview me. This is... <laughs> Really incredible. So thank you so much for getting me on your program. Oh, it's, it's a pleasure. I really appreciate you giving the time, given how busy you are with DJ gigs. So thank you so much, Sue. <laughs> Thanks, Maddie. It's awesome. And I wish you all the best. And I hope to see you on the dance floor one night. Hey, and I'll speak to you about the wedding as well. Hopefully we can, uh, you know, mates, rates, do me a deal, Sue, if oh, that's okay. No, I'm pretty flexible, you know. <laughs> Perfect. That's the answer I wanted. Thanks, Maddie. Thanks, Thanks, Sue. Bye. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye. The next person I want to introduce you to is a man named Chris. Now, if you've ever been doing a workout and after 30 minutes you thought, ugh, this hurts too much, I couldn't possibly go on... 
then you're going to feel pretty lazy after hearing Chris's story. In 2016, he became the second oldest Australian to swim the English Channel, a feat that had him in the water for 16 and a half hours. I think the only thing I've done for 16 hours is watch TikTok, so I'm already impressed. With both his grandfather and parents swimming teachers, it's safe to say Chris was inspired early to one day attempt to swim the English Channel. Actually, that's where the dream started. Um, the real heroes were, you know, anyone that swam across English Channel. So I grew up in that sort of an era and always in the back of my mind, I thought, I'd like to do that one day. So when you first had that idea, roughly, just ballpark, how old do you think you were? Probably 12, 13. I'm 74 now, so that was a fair while ago. <laughs> well, I was going to say, Chris, you uh, you waited a long time to make that dream a reality. You were you were 69 when you eventually swam the channel. What took you so long? Life, family, education, children, uh, business. I just never really had the time to put into it what I needed to put into it, to do it. When you're preparing for a swim like this, roughly how long in advance do you start practicing and planning it out? Well, I had to plan two years out because you just can't rock up at Dover and say, I'm going to swim across the English Channel. You have to book a pilot boat and there was a two-year waiting list on pilot boats, so I had to book two years in advance. And then when you do book, you get what's called a window of opportunity, or they call your tide. So mine was between the 15th and the 21st of September 2016. And, Maddie, if you get over there and the weather conditions are wrong and you don't swim, no refund, you've blown it. <laughs> you come home. During that time when you are swimming for 16 hours, roughly how many times did you think to yourself, I can't be bothered to do one more stroke. I just want to get back in that boat, wrap a towel around me and get a nice warm drink. Uh, once. At seven and a half hours into the swim, I started to feel nauseous. By the eight and a half hour mark, I was starting to soak badly. I was losing it mentally. For the very first time, I thought, oh, I don't know if I can make this. And then, of course, there was this whole mental process was going through my head. Oh, you know. You've worked two, two years for this. You look at all the training. My partner, Sally, she covered a whole lot of my workload for me. And I kept thinking, if I touched that boat, because as soon as you touch the boat, you're disqualified, I thought, five minutes after I touch that boat, I'm going to be in such a serious state of depression. I won't ever come out of it. So at the nine-hour mark, just lay on top of the water for a bit, probably about 10 seconds, but one of my support crew saw me lying on top of the water and he starts yelling out, Chris, Chris. And I rolled over on my back and I said, by then, everyone's up up on deck. They thought I might have had a heart attack or whatever. I, I said, I don't think I can make this. And the first thing my partner said to me was, think about it. <laughs> I, I, I'd been thinking about it. I knew exactly what was going through her mind. She'd know that if I gave in, I'd... I couldn't live with it. So then the English Channel uh, official, he said, come on, mate, we know we, you can get across. We, I know when someone can make it. You, you haven't changed your stroke rate for the last nine hours. And then the skipper of the boat, 
he said, come on, mate, I've taken a lot of guys across here. You know, I've taken a lot of worse swimmers than you over here. So just to give you some perspective on this, Matty, up until that particular point in time, the only stops that you make is to take on board some nutrition. And the nutrition break was at the half-hour mark, the support crew would wave, they throw a bottle over that's got a special mixture in it, five swallows, lid back on the bottom, bottle, off you go again. So it takes about 10 seconds. So at the nine-hour mark, I'm treading water out in the middle of the English Channel, just kept coming on dark, and suddenly I had the epiphany. I realised what the problem was. And I'd worked with a, with a very good friend of mine here in Queensland, Dr. Peter Rayburn. He's a doctor of human movements. He said to me, if you take on board too many carbohydrates, it'll make you feel nauseous. Suddenly the light goes on. I said to Sally, throw me down some water. So she threw me down some water. <laughs> I had a big drink of water and started swimming again. Well, about 15 minutes later, I started to feel pretty good. I, f- I felt a bit like a chainsaw that was running on too, too rich a mixture. <laughs> I felt, you know, my, mi- my mixture was too rich. So once we watered that down, it was I just felt stronger and stronger. And then when it got dark, that was the best time. The best part of the swim was from when it got totally dark to when I set foot on France because once it got dark, I could see the streetlights of France. I could see the lighthouse at Cape Grenade. I could see it disappear around the bow of the boat over a period of an hour or so, so I knew I was in the current. Then suddenly the deck light on the boat flashed and I said to the skipper, am I going around the Cape? And he said, no, no, the beach is only 400 metres over there. And at, at, at that particular time, that was it. I, I knew I'd made it then. and I. Uh, you know, I finally came ashore at France. If you cast your mind back, can you remember what it felt like to finally set foot in France after you had this dream for over 50 years? You've been in the ocean for over 16 hours. What was that feeling like when you finally accomplished your dream? Pretty good. (laughs) Very good, in fact. Very good. So anybody out there who's listening, I may think that once they hit the age of 60, there's not really much opportunity to achieve a major life goal. What do you have to say to those people? I think, I think it's, it's a mindset, Maddie. You know, some people might want to go back and study law when they get to 60 or, you know, they want to take up another hobby. But if you're going to do something physical, your body tends to give you some limitations. But it wasn't a hard swim. People, it, physically... It wasn't hard, but I just set off at a pace that I had trained for and I knew I could maintain for hour after hour after hour. And apart from the little hiccup with my mixture being too rich, it was fine. Now, you hold the record for being the second eldest Australian to make the swim. You did it at 69. I think the record, I believe, is held by a 70-year-old. Do you want to come back, do it again and get the number one spot? I have given that a lot of thought, Matty, now that um, a few years have passed. I would like to be the oldest male swimmer ever to have swum across the English Channel. And currently, the oldest male is the South African, and he's 74. And Chris, currently, 
what is your age? 74. So are, are you currently planning to complete another swim of the English Channel? No. <laughs> <laughs> There's a little thing around called COVID that's um, throwing a big spanner in the works. I don't want to put any added pressure on you, but now that I am considering my retirement, I may dabble in a bit of swimming. I just need to wait 45 years and I could get that potential <laughs> record held by the South African. You could. Anything's possible. You've got nothing to worry about. I can always help you with your swimming, Maddie, if, you, if you're struggling. <laughs> yeah. oh, mate, to be honest, anything more than 400 meters is going to be a bit of a struggle, but I will gladly, instead of a swim, I'll head up to the Sunshine Coast and I'll have a beer with you. You're on. <laughs> uh, Chris, you're an absolute legend. Thank you so much for talking to us, mate. Matty, it's been a pleasure. All right, guys, I am feeling inspired. After talking to Sue and Chris, I've got an idea for a goal that I would love to achieve after I retire. The world record for the longest DJ set is currently 243 hours and 30 minutes. Okay, and you're probably thinking that's a really long time. And yes, it is. It's 11 days, in fact. But I want that record to be part of my legacy. And the only issue is I can't DJ. So I need to figure out my super so I can retire early and then start practicing for that record. And I've got just the person for the job, for the super, not the DJing, financial commentator and CanStar's editor-at-large, Effie Zahos. Now, you might remember Effie from episode one when we spoke about money personalities. Well, now she's back and she's going to talk us through the A to Z of superannuation. And as is always the case with Effie, honesty is the best policy. So I kicked off our chat by letting her know that I have no idea who I have my super with, how many accounts I have, or how much money is even in my super accounts. Let me just pick my mouth up. <laughs> oh my goodness, Matt. Oh, that breaks but my heart. It feels good. Oh, I liked you before. It, I came <laughs> but it feels good to get that off my chest. I'm like, ah. Oh, I'm glad you got I, Now it's on my chest. Yeah. <laughs> now the pressure. Okay, here's a bet. By the time we finish our little chit chat today, you are going to find your super and you're going to roll it over by the end of this weekend. Okay, good, good. Okay. Well, that, well that, that's, why, that's why I have you here yeah, because yeah. it's an area of my finances that has been neglected the most. I mean, even to the point where I know how super works in that, you know, when I have my employer, they're going to give me a little bit towards my super, but I don't know how my super's growing. Like I, I, I excuse my ignorance yeah. here, but I don't understand how it works. Yeah. Look, you don't have to know the intrinsic Ins and out. Like, you know, I don't know how my car really works, <laughs> but it gets me from A to B. So what you need to do is just be engaged more with your super. If we can get you to that stage, that's great. So first up, full disclosure, I'm not a financial advisor um, and it's always best to do get expert advice if you need it. Um, and even you can get free advice through your super fund too if you want to go that way. For me, when I heard you say that, Matt, I was I was mortified. I am because I'm very passionate about super, and those people so that we were, know we me. We were laughing, but I, I could I could see those like tears forming in yeah. your eyes, Effie. Yeah, that just broke my heart. <laughs> broke my heart. I don't think I'll ever forgive you now, because for me, and I say this quite a bit, my greatest fear is living in a polyester outfit when I retire. And I know that sounds so snotty, 
Is that a word? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but because I'm accustomed to not wearing polyester, I find it very hot to wear polyester. <laughs> I want to have that lifestyle later on. And, and, you know, if you don't put a plan in place, if you fail to, to plan, you, you basically fail, don't you? And I know one thing, I definitely do not want to live on the age pension. And for a single person, that's around $25,000 a year. Sorry, sorry, how much? Yeah, $25,000. Now, all jokes aside, what we're seeing is a huge issue right now of seniors who are living in poverty and for a number of reasons and not through their own fault at all. I mean, super, you know, might not have been in when they were working. Traditionally, the case women were the, you know, are the the caregivers, take time out of work. There's a break in their career. And super, let's face it, super favours the rich too. So there's a lot of reasons why we may be disengaged with super, but I love it because it is for savings. And let's get this right. It is your money. It's your bank account. So you get paid by your boss. 10% of it right now will go into this special super account. And the other money goes into your account. Now that special super account, obviously, you cannot reach that to a certain age known as your preservation age. And that may put a lot of people off. But let me tell you this, you will get to my age faster than you know it. I guarantee you. I I disagree, Effie. (laughs) Uh, I will be young. Forever young. It (laughs) happens so fast. And, And as I was saying before, the reason why I like it is that it sits in this beautiful account whereby it has all the elements to wealth creation. You don't even have to think about it. You can just sit back and it's growing. And it, you know, money goes in on a regular basis. Your boss puts in 10% each pay. Uh, it's a long-term investment. You've probably heard of magic of compound interest. So all that's happening. And hold it, bring out the bells, the tax perks. Every dollar you pop in there, you only get taxed at 15%. They're your concessional contributions. They're the ones that go in before you touch it. So then should I be putting every spare penny into my super? Is that If I was allowed to say this, I'd say everything into super, but no, that just doesn't work. Um, look, it depends on where you are in your life. What are your goals? What are your debts? What are you trying to achieve? You know, I have a 21-year-old and, and you know, for her, you know, she does actually contribute to super. She does have a part-time job, so money's going in there. For her case, she just wants to make sure Am I in a good fund? Are the fees low? Have the performance been well? And I'll pop some in, maybe up to that concessional contribution. So that's the uh, the one where you're only taxed at 15% and you can only put up to $27,500 per year in there. So your boss does that or you do that. So when it, when it comes to finding a good fund, because, yes. you know, there's the, the main players yeah. there that I'm familiar yeah. with because I see the adverts. Yeah. But When I'm looking at who is the best for my situation, what are some of the key things that people should be aware of? Yeah. Okay. So super is a long-term investment. So don't get carried away with these one-year performances. And I can tell you, gee, they've been good, Matt. This is going to (laughs) excite you. They were over 20%. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The top performing balance ones for the end of the financial year. Um, I think off the top of my head, and I won't start naming some super funds because it's not about plugging all those at the moment, but I can tell you now that they have returned really well in what was a very volatile year, but that's only one year. On average, you know, you're probably looking at a balance fund around 8 or 9% per annum. It's not to be sneezed at. Doesn't mean it's always going to be that, but the way you choose your fund is, obviously, 
have a look at a, you know, there's lots of comparison sites. So I work for comparison site CanStar. The government has one now too, the My Tools. Get onto that, have a look. You have so much information out there. But the thing you're looking for is long-term performance, compare it with its peers, say five or seven years. What, and I know this might bamboozle a few people, but I'll try and keep it simple. What asset class are you in? When your money sits in this special bank account, it's either going to be invested in cash, that's conservative. You'd probably have money in cash if you're just about to retire and you don't want the market to fall and you lose your money. Most of us in what's called a balance fund and quite a bit of that money is invested in shares, property, international shares, a lot more volatile, or you've got growth. So find out where's my money invested? What has it been the return over five or seven years? What insurance do I have in there? And what are my fees? Those four simple things. And if you don't know where to start, get on even to the government's website, Money Smart, or talk to a super fund and get them to you know answer your questions because in a lot of cases, they have limited free advice they can give you. Something that I hear a lot of is you got to find your lost super. Yeah. <laughs> well, how do I find it if it's lost, Effie? <laughs> well, one thing I've got to say to you, don't go to those mobs that say, here, uh, I'll do it for a couple of hundred dollars because um, you can actually do it yourself. And I have to ask you, how many accounts have you got lost? See, that's a very good question. Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking back to my very first job, which was at McDonald's. Uh, where I would just, I think, whoever the employer recommended you put your super with, I was like, hey, I'll tick that box. I don't really care. Oh, that scares me already. I'll tell you why. Because back then, a lot of employers would probably hook up with whoever gave them the best deal. So it might be, you don't might not even have that fund anymore, Matt. I'm sorry to say the fees might have eaten it. <laughs> so I hate to say that. Look, your, your best place to go is you can go to the my.gov.au site. You log in or create an account. You select super and then you manage. It's as simple as that. Or you can call one of your super funds and go, hey, I've lost my super. Can you help me find it? Oh, and that's very kind of <laughs> it, it is, but they'll probably want you to roll the money into them. So make sure you choose the right super fund. Well, is that a good thing to do? Because I know some people say, hey, you know, you can have your super in multiple accounts and that could work. And then others say, absolutely not. You want one account and one account only. Look, the reason why some people may have two super funds is to do with the insurance side of things, or it could be a what's called a very special defined benefit fund. They're older funds that don't exist for younger people now coming into the workforce. So some people have conditions, pre-existing conditions, and they're fortunate that their existing super fund covers them for that. So if they close that, they will lose that kind of insurance cover. So that's why it's important. And this is going to take a little, I'm not going to lie to you, this is going to take a bit of time, Matt. I'm sorry. Did <laughs> I say you're going to do this this weekend? I'll give you till the following weekend to okay. do it. I'm getting <laughs> extensions already. <laughs> extension. <laughs> you get an extension on your homework. Um, yeah. So you, you've got to find out what what cover have I got before you start closing all these funds? And you don't necessarily just move the money to the super fund that's got the most amount of money in there. You've got to do those checks, I was saying. And again, the government website, the Money Smart website is pretty cool in giving you that step-by-step what to look for when looking for a fund. And when I finally look at how much money is currently in my super across yeah. possibly multiple accounts, I mean, I'm, I'm hoping that I'll be pleasantly surprised with a huge amount of money, yeah. but how do I know... At my age, I'm currently 34, how do I know what is a decent amount of money or the benchmark for success for how much super is there? Okay. There is this great little tool. You're going to love this. I play on it all the time. I don't know why because, well, I do check my super once a a week. Once a week? Once a week. I just love it. I I do. I love it. I love looking at it. It gives me so much joy. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, so for, for me, it's it's become a savings account because at my age, like I was saying, it's all about making sure I'm putting extra in it. So I actually BPay my extra deposit, even if it's I've got $10 extra left over after my weekly affairs, whatever, bang, it will go in as a BPay transfer. You can do that. So there's this great little calculator called Super Detective. You plug in your year and voila, it will tell you how much money you should have in your super fund right now if you want a comfy retirement. And comfy is based on ASFA's retirement standard. So to give you an idea, if you were, say, 25, then you would only need 24000 in there to be on track. Now, a comfortable retirement is 63000 per year for a couple, 45000 if you're single. So that's what as for the peak body of super says. They're saying if you want a comfy retirement, that means one holiday, international holiday, you know, go to the movies, play around a golf, um, maybe get a schnitzel down at the pub or something. You need $45,000 a year as a single person. So this little calculator, you, you type in the year and it actually tells you how much you need. Now, unfortunately, a lot of us are behind where we should be. But it's never too late. It really isn't too late to boost your super. The most important thing is get excited. Really, it's money in your account. Sure, you can't touch it now, but you will thank me when you're staring down a barrel and you think, wow, this has grown. And once your balance starts getting a bit bigger, normally after you know 10 years of investing, that's when compound interest really works and gets more exciting. And that's where you know you start seeing huge effects. Now, I sometimes hear though, there's, there's people out there that even before they're retired, before the age of 65, they've managed to tap into that super. How have they done that? Yeah, so we know over the past uh, 18 months, we were able to access it under COVID rules. So uh, traditionally, you actually can't access your super until you reach a preservation age. But there are some circumstances a where- preservation you, age is is it, your like retirement age. Yeah, it depends when you were born. So it is 60 if you were born after July 1964. So- that's that's young. That's mm. really young. You can. You've, this is the beauty about it. You're more mature. You'll be able to spend wisely, and you got your cash and your count. But you can take it out in extreme circumstances, compassionate grounds. Um, for example, maybe you're in financial hardship as well. A terminal medical condition are all reasons to actually take money out. Some people save in super as a um, deposit for their first home. You can do that as well. But every time you touch your, your nest egg, you know you're going to have less in the future. So. That- then when it comes to the common mistakes that people make with their super, yeah. I mean, I, I feel like I am the poster child of what not to do, but are there any key things that people should be aware of? I think some of the mistakes are people thinking that you actually have to earn a lot of money to be making contributions to your super. Look, I get it. Life is full of expenses and super is, you may think, another expense. I do understand that. So it's your priorities, like we were saying before. Where does it need to go? Is it you're saving for a house? What will you can save in your super um, for your house? Is it that you've got debt? I mean, if you've got credit card debt at 18%, your priority's there. I get that. You know, if you've got a family, it's hard to contribute to your super. I get that as well. And the thing is, There are lots of government perks that if you're a low-income earner, you should be looking at to see if you can qualify. That's the first thing. You know, make sure you get the perks. The other thing is you can actually boost your super without putting a cent in it as well. You've heard of all these cashback sites. You know, when you shop, you you, you buy all those shoes that you buy. (laughs) That's me. So these cashback sites, instead of getting the cash back as cash, you can actually select it to go into your super fund. 
So that builds up your super fun while you're shopping. That is genius. It's just a great way to tap it in, just add in when you can. And if you look at these cashback sites that do that and you do spend quite a bit, you know, Woolworths, think of it, Woolworths, I don't know, Myers, wherever, these regular places you may shop or Coles, whatever, it, it's an easy way to, to build your super fun without you having to work. And it works really well for, I guess, uh, a lot of people uh, taking career breaks to raise a family, women, gig economy on low income. And the exciting thing, if I can just say, there are so many changes happening to super. I can't wait. 450 threshold's going to go. So people who are on low income or working in a gig economy, lots of jobs that don't earn over 450, you don't get paid super. You will now. This is a world yeah. I've known nothing about. <laughs> I, I promise you though, Effie, I promise you if this puts your mind at ease, you know, when you're laying in bed thinking... I just hope Matty J is paying more attention to his super. <laughs> I, I promise you, I will. After this conversation, I'm going to check where my I, super is. Well, you have to because from now on, your super fund that you have is stapled. So a lot of us are pivoting to new careers, changing jobs. Don't forget, if you do change jobs, your super fund's coming with you now. So you don't have to open another one. But if it's a dud super fund, you've got a dud fund following you. So you don't want that. No, not at all. Effie, when I... Do retire. Yes. Let's say it's in my 60s. I will call you up <laughs> and I will thank you for this conversation because it has completely opened my eyes to a world I've I neglected. I hope so. I hope so. And if you're wondering, I don't have that, I'll never get that, then I urge you even to call Services Australia, their financial officers, just to see even if they can work out this sweet spot. And what, what I mean by sweet spot is you may be in a situation where you can get the full pension and have a certain amount in your super. And if you go over the threshold of that super, you lose some of your pension. Some people know that. You want to find that right balance where you can get the maximum pension and be okay with your super and together it gives you a lifestyle. And who do I speak to to make sure I am finding that sweet <laughs> His spot? His name's John and he's at... No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Call Services Australia. Hopefully they can help you with that. But also any good financial advisor, they'd be able to do those sums for you in a moment. Effie, thank you so much. You are so smart and I wish I could just suck all the knowledge out of your brain and have it forever, but I, I won't do that. Best I'll let not you to. walk out of the studio. Sadly, this is our last episode, but for people out there who are listening and going, oh my gosh, what will I listen to now that The Penny Drops has finished? You have a podcast which can fill that void. Oh, I sure do. And thanks for mentioning it. It's um, it's called Real Money with Effie Zahos. And it's uh, chatting to everyday Aussies about, um, you know, things that work for them, things that don't work for them, and uh, just, you know, going through these curveballs that we have in life and getting some solutions to them. Maybe, because yeah. I, I do need to be I, held accountable. Do you know what? I might get you on the show. Just give me give me a couple of weeks to yeah. get my, my finances in order and then I can come on and you can then... Oh, you'll be an after, a before and hopefully, after. Hopefully, hopefully <laughs> I I'm love a, su- it. a success story for you. I love it. I'd love to have both of you on actually, Laura and yourself. That sounds amazing. Effie, thank you so much. You know, there are some things in life that really make you feel like an adult. For example, buying a house, having a baby, getting a big promotion. And now I can add to that list understanding how to properly manage your super. As always, here are the important nuggets I'm proud to say that I've learned from today's episode. And this, oh gosh, this first one, it's hard for me to say because I hate the thought of getting old, but okay, I am racing towards retirement faster than I realize. So I'm going to engage with my super now. 
I'll take advantage of tax savings by topping up my account whenever I can, and I'll find all of my lost super at moneysmart.gov.au. And I I can't wait to see how many accounts I actually have, but I'm not going to hold on to those multiple accounts unnecessarily. When I'm looking for the right fund, I'll consider my asset class, the fees charged, as well as the fund's previous long-term performance, and of course... I'll check out the ATO website for the great comparison tool. And lastly, I'll head to superguru.com.au to find out exactly how much super I need to have in my account for a comfy retirement based on my current age, which for the record is 34. One second. Let's have a look now. Oh, (laughs) oh goodness me. Goodness gracious me, that is that is that is not a good number to be looking at right now. Okay, so at 34, I should have $93,000 in my account. Keyword here is should. That is something I definitely need to work on. And on that note, guys, that is it. We have reached the end of the Matty J Finishing School for the Financially Frustrated. In six short weeks, we've worked out our money personalities, figured out why we need a budget and goals, skilled up on how to manage money alongside our relationships, and I must say, Laura is already thanking me for that. We got one step closer to being able to officially quote the castle and tell him he's dreaming by learning exactly what buying a house entails. We stepped up our investing know-how and finally sorted out our super. To put it simply, we are finance geniuses. Well, look, maybe not, but hopefully I left you better than when I found you. But I would love to hear your thoughts. So you can slip into my DMs, give me all your feedback, or you can just review this podcast series. And if you did find it helpful, I would really appreciate it if you sent it to your friends. And guys, that is it. Until next time, spend less and save more. Really need to put that on a t-shirt. The Penny Drops is produced in partnership with Listener and ComBank. Hosted and produced by me, Maddie J, with audio production by Mitch Kellerdine, and executive producer is Todd Stevens. This podcast was produced on what always has been and always will be Gadigal Land. Listener.